0: This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. There was a a, a story that I think has some roots in truth, but it it is a legend of a Jewish rabbi in Russia. And he was walking uh, one day in the evening and he was just, he was distraught. He was doubting his faith. He was doubting his ministry. He was doubting everything. And he's just thinking through his, his whole life and without realizing it, he wandered right onto a Russian military base. And as he was walking, all of a sudden a voice, a sharp voice just broke the silence and a sentry said, who are you? What are you doing here? And it stopped the rabbi. And he said in a very gracious voice, trying not to, to anger the soldier, he said, what did you say? He said, I said, who are you and what are you doing here? Replied the soldier. And the rabbi, in a voice almost with a with a sense of awareness said, uh, how much do you make? And When the soldier told him how much he made a week, the rabbi said, I will pay you double that if you will ask me those two questions when I come by here every day of my life. Who are you? What are you doing here? Because what it did was it spoke to identity and it spoke to purpose. And so it, it helped this rabbi. This, these questions helped him. They were. They were valuable to him, valuable enough that he would actually spend money. But here's my, here's my thought this morning. Our questions that we ask ourselves are valuable as we look to the future. Now, I realize when people start looking at the future, they start asking questions like, what's gonna happen? What's gonna take place? And we don't have all the answers for that. You know, the scriptures give us some pictures of what, what happens, but it, it's, it's not clear cut. We don't know everything. But there are some questions that we can ask. Now, when we ask people questions about the future, or about their life, we usually ask questions like, especially with little ones, what do you wanna be when you grow up? So we ask them those and, and you know, they wanna, when I was three, I wanted to be a garbage man. I, I, I really thought that was, that was very, very cool. And, uh, and so my parents even bought me a small garbage truck that was a prized possession for, for a long time. And so over the years, my desires changed. Maybe when I got a whiff of what took place in, in the garbage, but I, w- I wanted to be that when I grew up. The second question we often ask is, what do you do? Now, men ask this question a lot. You meet a new neighbor, you're shaking their hands, hey, how are you, oh, yeah, this is your wife, kids, oh, good, night. one of the first questions is, what do you do? And, and although those are good questions, and those are questions that kind of reveal what we want to be when we're, we're little, and who we are now, here's some questions we can add to it. Now, this is a, what I consider a very thought-provoking question. Who do you want to be in five years? Now that's something we don't think about a lot. And and if you're going, I wanna have a house at the beach, I I wanna have another, car. no, no, no. I didn't say what you wanna have, I said, who do you want to be in five years? You do realize we change. How many of you can look back and say, you know what, I am not the same person I was five years ago. There's been changes. Or I'm not the same person I was. I hope you're able to say that. But who do you wanna be? The second question would be, who are you, what defines your life? And these are good questions. Now these are not questions, typically you're gonna ask your neighbor when you meet them. But they are questions that we can ask ourselves. And the beautiful thing is, the scriptures begin to give us some answers along those lines of who we wanna be, who we are. And the big question for us this morning is, and I'm gonna ask you, who do you wanna be in five years? You say, well, I have no idea. I know I'm going to be five years older, but what, what, what else? Well, again, the scripture, we can go to the Scriptures and we can start to get a glimpse of what the Bible says we are. Now, and one of the verses you hear me talk about a lot, 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and it's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's great. And that tells us some things. It tells us that when you made Jesus your Lord, the old spiritual condition that you were in is gone. And that you are someone who is new. And not only are you a new creation, but, you, but it is of God. We're born of him and that's an important thing to know and that's an important thing to realize because when you begin to realize what the scriptures say about you, it gives us a picture, which direction we're going in the future. Listen, Jesus reconciled us to God through his death, burial and resurrection and has given us a ministry of reconciliation. So we, we've got, we've got this, this sense of purpose and sense of who we're becoming, but we have to be willing to ask those questions and we have to be willing, not just to look out here and go, well. I want to be rich in five years, or, or I want to be stronger in five years. That's okay. But God gives us so much more. You know, there's a, when the country was being formed in, in pioneer days, there was an, an old man who, who wandered onto a settlement. He had no money. And he began to go from homestead to homestead begging for food or begging for anything for resources that he could trade for food. And he went to one homestead and the owner noticed something around his neck. He said, what's that around your neck? And uh, the old man said, well, he said, "Uh, it was a gift given to me. He said, but I've never opened it. It was a pouch on a a ribbon, faded ribbon. And the the owner of the home said, may I see it? And the old man took it off his neck and handed it to him. And when the, the owner of the home opened the pouch up, he pulled out a parchment. And the parchment said that this old man was a veteran of the the Federal Army in the Revolutionary War. And this was his discharge. And it was signed by General George Washington. And it gave him a pension for life. This, This poor man had been walking around with a pouch around his neck It gave him all the resources and everything that he needed to be able to sustain his life and not keep him from having to beg. But because he never knew what was in it, he never opened it, he never knew what was there, he missed out on all the benefits that could have been his. Guys, let me tell you something. The Bible is full of riches that God has done for us and what he's done in us. And when we begin to look in there, we begin to find out there's so much more to us. And then when we begin to realize there's so much more, then we can begin to answer that question, who do I want to be in five years? We have answers there. I want to show you a great story from the Bible, from the New Testament, of a a future-changing transformation that took place in a man's life. And I love this story because it shows us about who God is, it shows us who Jesus is, and it shows us transformations that can take place when he engages in our life. It's found in Luke, the 19th chapter. He said, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, because he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they, they saw it, they all complained, saying, "He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he's also a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I love this story. I love this story because you look at a guy named Zacchaeus and you can see the conflict in his life. The conflict in his life was that he was rich and he was powerful. And on the other hand, he was hated and despised. Now you have to understand that the Jewish tax collectors worked for the Roman government and they made their money off their their brothers and sisters in Israel. So they took money from them. And often they would, whatever their tax bill, say your tax bill was 10,000, they'd add a few thousand to it and keep the the leftovers, and became very rich. And the, the Jewish people hated them, big time. And so here's Zacchaeus. He is rich, he is powerful, and he's hated. He's a cheap tax collector. This brother was probably one of the richest guys in town. But here's something that's surprising about him. And you wouldn't think this of a rich, powerful guy. He had a hunger, a spiritual hunger that was very surprising. It was a spiritual hunger that actually caused this man to run ahead and climb up a tree. How many of you know? If you're rich and powerful, you don't run ahead and climb trees. It's just—it's just not—it's it's just not, not dignified. It's not what what you do. But but he had a he had a hunger that would drive him on, a what I call a run ahead tree climbing hunger to see Jesus and to see who he was. When he when Jesus came by that way he and engaged to Zacchaeus in a way that was really life-changing. I love the fact that he steps under his tree and he looks up and he calls his name. Do you know God knows your name? You are not a number with him, you are a name to him. And he looked up and called his name, said Zacchaeus, come down, I need to stay at your house. I need to stay at your house. You know, there was probably nothing you could do more for someone in that culture is to tell you, I've got to stay with you. The holiday inns were not open, and so you would stay with somebody. He said, I'm going to stay with you. And it-, it just so honored Zacchaeus that Jesus would come and stay at his house. And so when he-, when he came down, we began to see. Now, it made all the religious people angry because nobody liked Zacchaeus. And when they found out that Jesus was going to stay at their house, I'm sure there were a lot of folded arms and scowls because Jesus has gone to be with the sinner. Aren't you glad that Jesus is willing to accept people that religion has rejected and he is willing to accept those that society says, I don't want anything to do with. Our Jesus is one who still receives and still accepts people today. And he accepted Zacchaeus. And his, his engagement with Zacchaeus was life-changing And the future changed for Zacchaeus. You see, when Zacchaeus found out that Jesus accepted him, did not reject him, when he found out that by implication that God accepted him and did not reject him, it changed him. It brought out something different in him. It brought out, it sparked a change when he knew how much he was he was loved and accepted because he'd been rejected by everybody else. But this Jesus accepted him you begin to see Zacchaeus change. He transforms. He stands up. And the first thing he says is, he becomes a man who's generous. He had been a man who was a money grabber, money hungry. But now he's a man that says, Lord, I'm giving half of my goods to the poor. Now just stop just for a moment and think about that. Half of your stuff you give away. If I came home today and said, Joy, sweetheart, I just feel led to give half our stuff away. I, I'm sure Joy would look at me like, hmm, you need to pray again, boy, because I, 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 just, I, I just don't know that. Think about it, half of your stuff, which means you had to be really rich to give half your stuff away and still have enough left over. But he went from being money hungry to generous. And he went from being a, a man who was a thief to a man of integrity. He said, you know, if, I, if I've taken anything from anyone, which he had, he said, I'm going to restore him four times. Not just make it even. I'm going to restore it four times. Guys, that's a transformation. That's a change. And he did this on his own. Jesus didn't look at him and say, I want to tell you something, Zach. You better give half your stuff away because you ain't going to make it into heaven unless you can get your act together here. He never said that at all. In fact, Jesus, when Zacchaeus said that, Jesus acknowledged the change. And he said, he said, today salvation's come to this house. If Zacchaeus had been lying or had been insincere, Jesus would have never commended him for it. But he said, he said, salvation's come to this house. He said, for this man is also a son of Abraham. What was he saying? He's saying this man also has a covenant. God had a destiny for this man from the beginning. He was destined to be a covenant man. And now he's acting like the covenant man that he was destined to become. And Zacchaeus changed because he had an encounter with Jesus. Now here's, here's our thing. And here's my big question for you, it's worth thinking about. You don't have to answer it right now, but who do you want to be in five years? Who do you want to become five years from now? Now here's, here's some places to start. You want to start with hunger. A hunger, or maybe we would call it the desire. A hunger and a desire to know God And to please God. And that would be a good thing to have. See, if hunger and desire precedes effort. It's the motivation to change. It's the motivation to move you on. Mike Benson is a a speaker who told about having an an encounter with his eight-year-old daughter at dinner. And they're having dinner together as a family. And and, um, he said his daughter left about six green beans on her plate. And Mike said, you need to finish your green beans. She said, I'm full. He said, go ahead, you won't pop. She said, no, I will pop, I'm full. He said, risk it. She said, I'm full, up to the top, I am full. And uh, Mike knew that they were having his daughter's favorite dessert, pumpkin pie squares with whipped cream. So he he looked at his daughter, he said, how about a double helping of pumpkin pie squares with extra whipped cream? She pushed her plate back and she said, I'm ready. Bring it. He said, wait a minute. He said, I thought you said you were full and you just were going to pop and you couldn't eat any more. And she stood her little eight-year-old self up. She stood real tall. She said, this is my meat stomach and this is my vegetable stomach and they are full. This is my dessert stomach and it's empty. Bring on dessert. (laughs) Here's... Here, here's the moral of that story. We make room for what we're hungry for. And when we're hungry, that's, and I, I want to encourage you because I realize it's so easy. Maybe you start off hungry for God, but sometimes we lose that hunger and it just begins to, it, it begins to die down. I think one of the challenges is, is losing hunger is that so many other things in our life dull our appetite. I mean, when I was a kid, my mom would never let me eat sugar or candy before dinner, I had old school parents. I'd say, mom, can I have some candy? And she would say, no, it will ruin your appetite. Some of you heard the same stuff. Well, what happens is when you eat a lot of sugar, it it begins to dull down that hunger sense. And so you don't want the things that your body really needs like protein and vitamins. And so it, it does, it ruins your appetite. I think today some of the stuff, some of the distractions we have, some of the things we can get involved in, it ruins our appetite for God. So sometimes one of the best things we can ever do is begin to put aside some of those things that have distracted us and say, God, I need a hunger for you in my life again, because it's a hunger for God that he acknowledges and honors just like Jesus did with Zacchaeus. In Luke, the the first chapter, verse 53, it says, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And that word rich means full. So this morning, I'm, I'm going to challenge you as I have been challenged myself. Maybe it's time we begin to stir up that hunger for God again and say, Lord, don't ask God to do it. Do it yourself. Say, God, I stir up that hunger for you because it's hunger that brings change. It's hunger and the desire that brings change. Second thing, if we're going to change, if we're going to be someone different five years from now, if you say, you know what, I want to be someone different five years, I don't don't quite know who, but I want to be different. We're going to have to add to that belief, the idea, and the belief that God is not disappointed with you, that he's on your side. Now listen, guys, this is real important, that God is not disappointed. I believe so many people live under the cloud of a disappointed God. But in Romans 8, verse 31, 32, some of my favorite verses, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Listen, God has stood under mankind's tree, and he has called us out and said, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to come down. He knows your name. And then he sent Jesus to validate that love. And when you understand how much god loves you and that he's on your side what it does is it takes away the fear of failure then you're not so worried you can you're willing to take a risk it's the freedom to change because you know god's is not going to reject you or turn away from you man that's so important when i was 17 years old we we were i grew up baptist and we were part of a baptist church Baptists were really good about camps, and in North Carolina, they had a camp called Camp Castle. It was an, actually an old fort that they had renovated and had military base, had, had all these houses. It was really cool. We would all go down there and we went down there and they would have to send a, a, a counselor with us, and they sent a man with us one time. I never met him before I stepped on the bus and met a guy named Dewey Navy. Now Dewey was probably I was 17 he 's probably in his 40s he was he was just a neat guy. You suspect he maybe had a rough life. He was just coming back to the Lord. Well, one of the things we loved about Dewey was, Dewey was not about rules. Dewey was about relationship. And when we went down there, he told us what, he told us what the camp's rules were. Then he told us what his rules were. We liked his better. And it was, he just, but he kept communicating to us that he was for us. And it brought such a freedom and at night we would sit around and we would talk and we would talk without a fear of being reprimanded because this guy wasn't disappointed in us. He liked us. I'd gone down there to meet girls and I'd met this one girl I was having a problem with and, and I talked to Dewey and Dewey gave me, he was a smooth talker, man. He gave me some great lines. They worked. I'm like that. You are my man. But my thing was this. When you're 17, you don't want to talk to anybody who's older than you about girls. Because you're gonna get the eye roll, you're gonna get the disappointment. And Dewey never gave the eye roll or the disappointment and you had the sense that Dewey was with you. And you know, I've had a lot of people in my life that came through my church, I remember very few of them, I remember Dewey Navy, he was for me. Parents, let me tell you something, let me help you with this. As a parent, we try to mitigate the risk. We try to knock all the obstacles down for our children. This is the time when they're under your roof to let them experience taking risk. And if they fail, you're there to pick them up, not there to be disappointed in them. Because in life, they're going to have good times and in difficult times. And it's our job to show them whatever happens, God is not disappointed in you. God does not reject you. God is not disgusted with you. God is on your side. And if you know that, then you can take a risk. You can try something. You can can say, I've heard people say, I've tried to live the Christian life. I can't do it. No, get back up and try again because your heavenly father is the one who's pulling for you. And you can live under his smiling face, not under his disgusted, angry face. And when you know that, man, it gives you the it gives you the freedom to go, I can do this. I'm not going to fail. The last one is this. Find out what you're destined to become. Find out what you're destined to become. When you begin to find out the potential, if you're a child of the living God, if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord, you have so much potential and so much capacity for growth, for development. If you've never made Jesus your Lord, we'll give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the service. But listen, you're a child of the living God. There's good stuff in you. Second Peter, Peter now Peter made a lot of mistakes. But Peter later wrote this, and this was, this was in his letter in 2 Peter. He said, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Now he's writing to the church. He said, add to your faith virtue. Virtue means noble character. And the virtue knowledge, and knowledge self-control, and the self-control... Perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For he who lacks these things is short sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Did, did you hear what, he, what he's saying? He's saying, Add these things because this is who you are. This is your potential. When I look at myself and say, What do I want to be five years from now? I don't start thinking, I I, I want to have this or I want to have that. I want to be something. I want to be someone with noble character, someone with knowledge, someone with perseverance, someone with self-control, because that's who I'm called to be. That's who I'm destined to be. And that's who you're destined to be as well. And when you begin to understand that you don't have to create a vision of your future self, it's already been designed for us. All we have to do is find out who we are and go, this is the direction I'm heading. This is the choice I'm making. You say, Alan, what has that got to do with the future? It has everything to do with the future because for the next five years, you'll be ruled by the circumstances or you'll be ruled by your choices. The circumstances can come and all these external factors can come into your life and you can look at them and go, well, I can't do this because of this and I can't do this because of this. Or you can make a choice and say, God has spoken. His word has said, this is what I am and this is the direction I'm going regardless of what's going on out here. And that's what gives us a hope and a strength for the future, regardless of what we see happening around us. Back in the day when ships used to communicate with bullhorns and lights, a battleship was coming into uncharted waters, into a fog-shrouded sh- bay. And it was very foggy. Admiral was standing on the deck, and when he saw a, he saw a light, he, he saw another ship he grabbed a, a bullhorn and he spoke through the ship and he said, this is, this is Admiral Smith of the United States Navy. You need to turn your ship 10 degrees to the north. And a voice came back through the fog. This is Seaman 4th Class Jones. You need to turn your ship 10 degrees to the north. Well, that made that Admiral mad. It's like, I am an Admiral and this is a Seaman 4th Class. He grabbed that microphone back. He said, this is Admiral S- Admiral Smith of the United States Navy, turn your vessel 10 degrees north. We're on a collision course. And the voice came back through the fog. This is Seaman Fourth Class Jones. Turn your ship 10 degrees north. was. He said, this is Admiral Smith, the United States Navy. I have the right of way. I am a battleship. The voice came back through the fog. This is Seaman fourth class Jones. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) We may not know everything that the future holds, guys. The future is shrouded in fog, but we're gonna be ruled by a rudder or ruled by the rocks. When we choose, God, I'm going your way. I'm gonna find out what you have called me to be. I'm gonna find out my destiny is right there in the scriptures, that I'm ruled by the rudder and I'm plowing ahead and God's with me every step of the way. He'll do that for you. What are you gonna be in five years? Who are you gonna be in five years? You have the potential to be so much more than you ever thought or dreamed. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? If you're out there watching online, we're about to say a prayer. And if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Or maybe you're just not sure. And it's been a situation in your life where you're saying, you know, I don't know, but I want to be sure. I want to discover this potential that I have in him. It starts with receiving him. Zacchaeus had to receive Jesus. You can receive him as well. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed here in the sanctuary. I'm going to ask the question, if that's you that I'm talking to, and you say, you know, Alan, I don't know where I stand with the Lord or I, or, or I know I'm away from him, but I, I want him in my life. Would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up real quick, cross the auditorium, say, that's me, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Great, thanks. Wonderful. You can put your hands down, those of you who are watching online. We're going to say a prayer, and listen, if you're by yourself, pray this out loud. We're gonna pray There's as a church family here. we pray it out loud. If you're with other people, you can pray it quietly. But this is just, a, it's a powerful prayer. It's a life-changing prayer. It's a future-changing prayer. We're gonna pray it with, together as a church family. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. But let me pray for you. Father, thank you for those who are here and those online who prayed that prayer sincerely from their heart. Thank you for the change that's taken place, that they are new creations. Thank you, Father, that there's a renewal in those who have been away from you. Thank you for your willingness to accept and your joy over the fact that they've come in and come back And we rejoice with them. Father, for all of us here, those who know you, those who have walked with you, stir up a hunger in us. We we stir it up ourselves. We want more of you in our lives. We want to know more of what you've called us to be, what we're destined to be. We're so grateful, Lord, for your goodness, for your kindness, and for your love for us. We thank you for that. What a life changer. What a future changer. We give you all the praise.